If you have a Bible, and if you're spiritual, you will. Look around for those who don't. There's something to be said for self-righteousness. We're going to look at the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come into your presence with great joy. They told us if we could be good enough, if we worked hard enough, if we knew enough, that you would accept us. And we tried so hard. And then the tears welling up in our eyes, we turned to leave because we couldn't do it anymore. And then we heard your voice. Welcome, child. Welcome. And we came running. Father, we're not here because we're good or because we're obedient. We're here because we're yours. You know every person in this place. You know the secrets we can't share. You know the demons that haunt us, the sin we can't shake. You know the loneliness and the fear. Meet us in this place. May we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. Forgive the one who teaches his sins because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You should have been there. It was one of those things that caused you to wince, but you know, you think about a lot a long time after it happened. It was in the chapel of Reformed Theological Seminary where I teach. We had a student there who had some serious emotional problems, but nobody told him often because he was big and he was mean. Looked like a punk rocker, shaved head, earrings, the whole tattoo thing. And we were having our chapel decently and in order when Reggie Kidd, who was our dean of the chapel at the time, called for sentence prayers. And this student stood up first and said, God, I'm effing glad to be here. And I'm effing glad that you saved me. And I'm effing glad to be a part of this seminary so I can serve your effing people. And he, and he just got really quiet. Then he, then he turned, he walked out of the chapel and his wife, and Ray didn't know what to do. I mean, you don't hear that often in, in worship. <laughs> so, so Reggie said, let's sing. I mean, what else? You take an offering? 
So Reggie said, let's stand and sing. And I looked over at that student's wife. She had her head on the pew in front of her and crying like a baby. And during the music, I went over to her and I said, young lady, that's probably the most honest prayer that's ever been prayed in this chapel. Certainly not anything here big enough for you to cry about, so you stand up, you sing with the rest of us. And she did. I've lost contact with him, but I think about him a lot. I don't know whether he was free or just screwed up. Probably it was a little bit of both. They asked me to talk about grace and freedom. And I thought, I can do that. And then I thought, no, I can't. That's hard. I have an authority problem. I get mad at stop signs. So I say what I think, so I'm reasonably free. I was at the Cove not too long ago, the Billy Graham Training Center in the mountains. And I mentioned that I don't drink. And the reason I don't is because I'd say what I thought. And the guy in the front row said, yeah, you don't do that now. And I do, but I'm not sure why. It could be indigestion. It, you know, old people are already irritated about being old. It takes very little to take us off. I don't know whether it's the devil or whether it's God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because I'm the meanest preacher in the valley. <laughs> and I don't know, I'm sort of free. I kind of say what I think. But I'm not exactly sure why. I'd like to think it was Jesus, and sometimes it is. So I thought probably it would be best to check with him before I said anything more. If you have your Bible, as I said, I'm going to start at the first verse of the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew writes as follows, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God there and ate bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Now, before we do anything else, I want to say something that's kind of radical. If you're going to be free, it means being normal. I mean, these guys were hungry. They weren't trying to make a statement. They weren't making an obscene gesture to the Pharisees. They weren't saying, we are free, look at us. They were simply hungry, and they ate the grain. Today, and it's the little L of the law, there would be people standing around. You can't do that. It, it'll make you fat and give you cancer. And Jesus' response to the little L would be exactly the same it was to the big L. You know, the problem is that, we, that we're just not knowing. Something about religion will make you weird. You know, really. It, did you hear about the lady who went to the hospital? Going to have major surgery. And she had an out-of-body experience while she was on the table. And she saw God. She said, God, am I going to die? And he said, oh, no. You're going to live for 42 more years. So she came back into her body, recovered, was doing well, and she figured if she was going to live that long, she ought to have some things she'd been meaning to do in her life. So she had a tummy tuck and facelift, called in a hairdresser, and they changed the color of her hair, and she was looking good. Then when she was released from the hospital, she was walking across the street, and she was hit by a car and killed. When she got before the throne, she said, why? You lied to me. Why? You told me I was going to live for another 42 years. And God said, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> you know, we have this spurious, really stupid thing about we got to smile and be joyful and pure and obedient so that we don't hurt our witness. Let me tell you something. That doesn't help your witness. Nobody's ever drawn to Christ by that stuff. They're drawn to Christ when they see how screwed up you are, how real you are, and how much Jesus loves you. I've been saying to congregations that if you guys knew that Jesus was coming back on Thursday, I know what you'd do. You'd pray and fast and repent. You know what I'd do if I knew he was coming back next Thursday? I'd get drunk. And not only that, I'd buy Mercedes. And I'd run up the credit cards. <laughs> Man, some, there's some neat stuff I've been meaning to get. I mean, if I knew he was coming back on Thursday, he didn't have to pay it back. Man, I do. And the reason you're shocked and the reason I'm so pleased is that Jesus likes me more than he does you. <laughs> what I just said is so important that we say to the world, listen. Go get a beer and drink it. I don't drink. I'm a teetotaler. Well, I was in Belfast, Northern Ireland last year. I got a Guinness. How do you drink that stuff? That's like drinking axle grease. I can't get it, but I'm a teetotaler. I just don't do it. But if you like beer, don't get drunk, but drink it in front of an uptight Christian. 
and go to a movie that isn't a Christian one and read a novel that doesn't have Jesus in it and, and live your life so that uptight Christians doubt your salvation. Be normal. Just be normal. Be who you are. And I think that's what's going on here. These guys are hungry. You, you got a problem with that? They're hungry, so they got some food, and they ate, and the Pharisees went ballistic. Well, that's from me, not necessarily from the text, but I think it's true, and I thought I ought to say it anyway. Let me read you a statement from Martin Luther. Um, it's from a treatise on Christian liberty, and this is what Luther says. I believe that it has now become clear that it is not enough or in any sense Christian to preach the works, life, and words of Jesus Christ as if the knowledge of these would suffice for the conduct of life. Yet this is the fashion among those who today that would be the 1500s, are regarded as our best preachers. And such teaching is childish and effeminate nonsense. Then he says, there are some who have no understanding to hear the truth of freedom and insist upon their goodness as a means of salvation. These people you must resist do the very opposite and offend them boldly, lest in their impious views they drag many with them into their era. For the sake of liberty, the liberty of the faith, do other things which they regard as the grossest and the greatest of sins. Use your freedom constantly and consistently in the sight and despite the tyrants and the stubborn, so they may learn that they are impious, that their law and works are of no avail for righteousness, and that they had no right to set them up. You want to say, well, other than that, what did you think about that? <laughs> so live your life that Pharisees will doubt your salvation. And put brothers and sisters around you who hold you accountable not to be wonderful and pure and nice, but not to shilly-shally, to be free and to bask in your freedom to the glory of God. What does this text say? Well, it shows us something about the people who don't like us. Please note in the text that the Pharisees were looking for sin, and they still are. I believe in church discipline, by the way. I believe, as Calvin said, that it's one of the signs of the true church. But we don't discipline for sin. If we did that, I would be the only one left. We discipline for a lack of repentance, for a lack of a broken heart. And if you start looking for sin in your congregation, that's all you're going to do. It's everywhere. You'll feel like a, 
mosquito in a nudist colony. You'll know what to do, you just won't know where to start. That's, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were looking for sin. When you're free, you don't do that. You assume it's there. You don't say, how could you, when you find it. You hold a brother or sister and let them cry. And you identify with the hurt and the struggle and the failure and the shame because we've got nobody but us to do that. Anyway, I was, I was speaking at Northland Church, a church in, uh, in our city. And I decided to use, I smoke a pipe. It's the only sin I've got left. I don't even chase girls anymore unless they're running downhill in my direction. <laughs> so I decided I was going to use the pipe as an example of heaven. Uh, and I decided I better prepare them before I did it. And I said, I'm going to talk about my pipe. Don't send me letters. A lot of people more spiritual than you are have tried to get me to stop, and they failed, and you will too. So just leave it alone. But a pipe is kind of like heaven. If the sermon is just God-awful, and you think, I've got to stay awake because people will know, and I snore, and that wouldn't be appropriate in a worship service. I think if I can get through this, I can go out and smoke my pipe. I've never been to a faculty meeting that had anything of any interest to me whatsoever. <laughs> but they fire you if you don't go. I don't even know what they're talking about half the time. And I'm thinking, Lord, I wouldn't do this for anybody but Jesus. And, and I hate this. But if I can just hang on, I can go out and smoke my pipe. It's like heaven. You know, the world is bad. I've buried more babies and cleaned up after more suicides and listened to more confessions than I can even remember. This is not a place for sissies. It's really, really hard, but we're not home yet. We're not home yet. It's kind of like smoking a pipe after a faculty meeting. <laughs> I got letters. Oh, did I get letters. Uh, but the next time I was at Northland, I was standing at the door in the back and guys are putting cigars in my pocket. I brought home, I bet you 50, 60 cigars that guys had given me. And let me tell you something else. They started a Bible study group for guys and it's still going on. It meets every Tuesday. You know what it's called? Holy smokes. <laughs> Listen, if a couple of our speakers have talked about their own struggles, and I've loved it. I love the authenticity of this. If you knew me, you think you know, you, you think you know me. You don't. You don't know whether I'm a con man. You don't know whether I'm just hustling you, whether I believe anything that I'm telling. You don't know a thing about me. And if you knew a lot about me, you wouldn't be here this morning. 
And if I knew a lot about you, I wouldn't have come. The Pharisees, and that's a problem, is they're always looking for sin. You know, you don't have to look. It's everywhere. It's me, oh Lord. It's not my brother, and it's not my sister. It's, it's me. Norm Evans, my professional football player friend, tells a story about a, 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 a lineman when he was in college who came to the coach and said, the opposing lineman keeps, keeps pulling my helmet down over my eyes. What should I do? And his coach said, son, don't let him. Pharisees are looking for sin in you, and they're going to point it out with a gotcha thing all the time. Don't let them. That's what it means to live in the freedom of grace. And then the next thing you ought to note in the text is the Pharisees were not only looking for sin, when they found it, they couldn't be consistent with it. Emerson said, consistency is the hobgoblin of little mind, the last refuge of the Pharisee. Notice that Jesus then says, all right, we're eating because we're hungry, but didn't you hear about David? And don't you hear about the priest who broke the law all the time? What are you, nuts? Pharisees are never consistent. You know, in order to keep the Sabbath, they had to put a piece of clothing a half mile because the law said you couldn't go further than a half mile. So if they had stuff to do on the Sabbath, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23. They put a shoe a half mile so they could go another half mile and a shirt another half mile so they could go and do whatever they wanted to do. But we've got our equivalent in our own culture, the subculture of evangelical reformed Christians. We're so uptight about the laws that we don't dance. Leads to sex every time. You, you, you think you can go to a PG movie, but next week you'll be going to an R-rated movie. And the next week you'll be going to an X-rated movie. And the next week you'll be on that computer doing the devil's business. And so we put rules on top. Do you hear about the woman who was stopped for speeding? And, and the police officer said, ma'am, could I see your license? And, and she said, officer, I don't have a license. I stole this car. And uh, you took my license away for drunken driving. He said, well, you, you stole it? She said, that's the reason I don't have any registration. He said, I killed a man I stole it from cutting him up in little pieces and put him in the trunk of the car. And he said, ma'am, stay right where you are. And he got back on his car and called back to the headquarters. And his sergeant came and three or four other police officers. And the sergeant went up to the woman and said, would you please step out of the car? And she said, yes. He said, do you have a driver's license? She said, of course, officer. She reached into her pocketbook and gave him the driver's license. He said, you have a registration? She said, what do you, of course I have a registration. She reached under the, the wiper thing and gave it to him. He said, he said, madam, please open your trunk. 
So she went back and opened the trunk, clean as a whistle in there. And he said, ma'am, I am so sorry. This officer said you had said that you didn't have a license because you were a drunk driver. You didn't have a registration because you stole a car and killed a man who owned it. And you put his body in the trunk. I am so sorry. She said, you're kidding. He said that. I bet he told you I was speeding too. If you don't buy paper on Sunday because you want to be faithful, a faithful Sabbatarian, you really can't buy it on Monday because it was created on Sunday. So forget about the Monday paper. And if they got to, and it goes on and on and on. Don't let them. It is impossible to be a consistent moralist. Listen to me. Your sin is the best gift God ever gave you when you know it. And your obedience is your most dangerous place when you know it. So give it up. Run to Jesus. Obsess on him. And let him worry about the rest. And then, please note that they're after Jesus. Look what it says uh, down in the uh, 14th verse. Uh, I can't find it. It's there. It said that they conspired to do him in, okay? Look it up yourself. I'm not your mother. Let me tell you something that's helpful. Ugliness always tries to destroy beauty. And bound people hate free people. It explains a lot in the church. Last night, when I was uh, here and just loving it, I mean, I, the way people are raising their hands and so worshiping, and uh, these guys were absolutely wonderful, and I just felt like, you know, this heaven's going to be like this. And then I thought about you guys, and I said to myself, when they go home, they better not do any of this stuff, because that makes people angry. I remember a lady in my office, it was a counseling session, and she was prim and proper, a church lady. And she was talking about her sister. And then to her shock and my surprise, she stopped for a minute. And she said, I hate her. I just hate her. And then she started crying. And I let her cry a bit and then said, and why? And she said, because she is beautiful and good. God's done something in your life. You're free, and that drives some people nuts. Don't shilly-shally. Don't let them. And then you got a note in the middle of all this morass. These guys are having a third world war about picking a grain of wheat. What's with that? And Jesus says things 
that make me an old Calvinist want to speak in tongues. It's not sacrifice. It's mercy. And I know because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I wrote the songs and the meter and the rules. Read my lips. It's not sacrifice. It's mercy. I know about sin. You know, I kid a lot, and, and, uh, but I, my sin shames me. You, you never met a man that wanted to please God more than I do and failed so often. I'm not proud of that. I don't, that's not good. I thought I'd be a lot further along than I am. I thought I'd be a whole lot better than I've become. There's still stuff that I should have dealt with years ago. And sometimes I'm so ashamed I don't want to pray. And then I hear his words. It's not sacrifice. It's my mercy. And I run to him. And mercy comes running to me. I love that. I really do. You know what's going on here. Uh, Peter's stuffing the grains into his mouth, and he looks up, and the Pharisees are coming as a bunch to the field where they're doing their improper deeds. And Peter turns to Jesus and said, Uh-oh, we're in trouble. And Jesus says, It's okay. I'll take care of it. And he does. And he did. And it's finished. Don't let anybody, no matter how religious they sound, pure they look and how often they use the name of Jesus, don't let anybody ever take that away from you. Justin Holcomb is a friend of mine, a former student, PhD from Emory, brilliant young man, and I loved him a lot when he was in seminary and uh, have loved him in the years that has followed. He's, he's out at Mars Hill Church under Mark Driscoll now. He was an Anglican for a good while, ordained in Rwanda, and loves Jesus with all of his heart. And he just wrote a book on grace that's going to be out in two or three months. And I said to him, Justin, how did you, how, where did you start knowing about grace? And he said, my father taught me. I said, how do you do that? He said, well, I'm just a little kid, maybe seven. And he said, our neighbors were going to move, and uh, uh, I didn't want them to move, so I snuck into their house and stopped up all their drains and turned on the water and flooded the house. I said, it seven? He said, oh, yeah. And he said, it did thousands of dollars worth of damage. And when I realized what I'd done, I was so ashamed, but I lied. I said, how could anybody do something like that, Dad? And his dad said, I don't know how somebody could be that destructive. And he said, for a whole week, all I did was pray. I prayed that God wouldn't let me be caught. And I asked forgiveness over and over and over again. He said, one afternoon I was out playing with my friends, it was about a week later, 
And uh, my dad came to the front door and said, son, I want to talk to you a minute. And uh, he came in. Turned out that Justin's neighbor had seen him go into the house that day and told his father. And the jig was up. So his father said, son, I want to ask you again, do you have anything to do with the flooding of our neighbor's house? And Justin said, and I lied through my teeth. I said, no, dad, I had nothing to do with it. I can't imagine somebody would do something like that. And his father said, son, the neighbor told me that he saw you go in and do it. And Justin began to weep. He said his father was angry. His father said, I'm not just angry about what you did. I'm angry. I'm angry because you lied to me not once or twice, but repeatedly about it. You need to get straight with God and you need to get straight with me. And you're going to have everything removed for your, from your, that you like until Jesus returns. And Justin said, Daddy, every night I've asked, every night I've asked God to forgive me. And his father said, what? You asked God to forgive you? Justin said, yes. And his father said, oh, that's different. Well, you're forgiven. Go on out and play. And he said, the first evangelistic foray he ever made was when he told his friends what had happened. I haven't said anything profound. Huh? But if you listened to what I taught you, go out and play. Go out and play and be sure and tell people about your daddy. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this message, be sure to sign up for our free weekly email, Key Life Connection. Just visit keylife.org slash subscribe. Thanks. Thanks.